Good day, this is Shane Hasty for the InfoQ Culture Podcast. We're at Agile 2017 and I'm sitting down with Steve Hollier. Steve, welcome. You and I obviously know each other reasonably well. We've yeah. met over the years a few times, but I suspect many of our audience haven't come across you before. So would you mind briefly giving us a bit of your background? Okay, I'm a independent Agile practitioner based in Zurich, Switzerland. I'm lucky enough to be based in Zurich, Switzerland because I grew up on the Louisiana, Mississippi state line in the States. I was gonna say, that doesn't sound very Swiss. Yeah, actually. I don't have the, the most uh, strong Swiss accent, although I've, I've had the great fortune to do most of my agile work in Europe and then traveling out from Europe to South Africa and places like that. And occasionally I come back to the States too, which is, which is great fun. So this week you led the collaboration culture and teams track at Agile 2017. What was the theme of that track and, and what came out of it? Yeah, that's an interesting track because it has a really broad theme. Now I was co-chair along with DocList mm-hmm. and we were working together. Uh, he was a returning chair and I was uh, I'm new coming into the track as a chair. And it's, it's such a broad track because so many things in the Agile space can come under culture, collaboration, teams. And it's, it's really interesting because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine named Erica who lives in Orlando and I was having a, a conversation with her a few months ago about life and how my experiences in life, you know, not the everyday experiences, not the most expected experiences, have made me a better coach, how they've helped me ask better questions. And that from there we went to talking about diversity and people who have come out to me or things and how that has made them better team members, better practitioners, better coaches. Erica, who is outside the Agile world said, well, that sounds really fascinating how all of these diverse lived experiences make better agilists. Is the industry talking about that? And I said, well, yeah, there's pockets, people talking here, talking there, people are talking about it. But come to think of it in an official capacity, I don't even know, thinking about the big agile conference, there's no track where anybody would talk about it. I just, where there is no track unless maybe collaboration, culture, and teams it hit me like a ton of bricks the track that I'm co-chair of that could be the place mm-hmm. and it was completely unexpected and the track descriptions were due that day so I said oh now we I have to rewrite the track description just to invite some more com- conversation about how lived experiences uh, make people better team members better coaches better practitioners so so we were able to do that and the idea was just to put the invitation out there, uh, th- th- this is also something we can talk about mm-hmm. in our industry. So that's that's what we did. We had all the usual aspects of the call as well about dynamic reteaming that Heidi spoke on, making safe places, but we also created a, part, a place for invitation to talk about cultural bias, mm-hmm. unconscious mm-hmm. bias that we have, how, how our language can send a message, an unconscious message. Ash Coleman did an incredible session. She kicked off the track the very first session talking about that with this incredible session about unconscious bias. So I was glad we could just make that part of the invitation mm-hmm. and, and say this, you know, this is something we can talk about also. So what were a few of the highlights from that track? There were so many and, and now now I'm, I'm gonna forget half of them. So Ash Coleman talked about the unconscious bias in our language and she just had a very simple session where she 
talked very briefly about bias, had us create a company, an imaginary company, and then she asked us to create a job description to hire for that company. And then she talked a little bit more about how different words can send different signals. I don't even remember what she said, but the next thing she said, now look back at your job description. Now we were in a session on unconscious bias, so all of us had written unbiased descriptions, except when we looked back again, we all went, oh, we've left people out of, we've signaled to people that they're not welcome here. All of us have biased job descriptions we need to work and rewrite our description. So that was that was a standout. Heidi Helfand and Joshua Kierewski did a talk about creating psychological safety, which they really sourced a lot of information. And they talked about how Deming, we all like Deming, how Deming talked about the need to create psychological safety. And he didn't say psychological safety, but he was talking about that. So that was a standout. Bonnie Alman did a great talk. She closed out the track. She did a ask me anything about gender and sexuality. And she just stood up there and said, you can ask me anything about gender and sexuality. And just a signal, you know, it's okay. We say it's important to get this right and you can't ask any questions about it. So she, she just asked me anything. The, the commitment wasn't that she would answer anything, but that we could ask her anything. Uh, and she had a huge array of questions she created a safe place where those questions could be answered. She had a huge array of questions. And it's funny because when she submitted that paper, there was a reviewer who said, I don't see why we need to have a, a talk like this on the track. And when she held up all the questions that people had, it seems like we can create space for that, among other things. Mm-hmm. And then we had, yeah. We also had talks about mob programming, uh, and uh, Heidi also spoke on dynamic reteaming, self-selecting teams, so all those other things that you'd also find on the track. Coming back to you. Yeah. <laughs> you are part of the Agile Fluency Project? Yes and no. So I have been working with Jim and Diana since shortly before they published the model. So I reviewed their original article on Agile Fluency and offered some comments which they took into the model. I've been working to promote the model throughout Europe since it's been published, have uh, done some trainings with Diana and worked closely with the project. But since April, I have been independent Mm -hmm. from the project. Mm -hmm. And I love the work that they're doing with the model. And what I think I can do is to take that model that the Fluency Project is behind and work with other practitioners in the field to figure out really how do we use this model. The, The model's a great tool and it is a tool, the win, the value in the model is the outcomes that we can produce by using it. So that's what, since April, I've been really building a new practice or extending my practice to really use the model, not just use the model as a tool, but to find the uses to what it tells us about creating agility. The model itself is about how team software development teams learn agile. And as what I love, Diana says, you create a model. She says she created, she creates models. She puts them out in the world. You know, she's put several models out in the world. She puts them out in the world, and then they come back and teach, teach things back, teach her things. And uh, what this one of the things that this model has taught is that we can look at how teams learn to be agile. But what it also points to is the things that are larger than the Agile Fluency model. It implies how companies become agile. 
it implies the whole agile fluency model is about understanding value, which tells you, which has always told me, that there is another model there about how product ownership people understand value so that they can work with the teams to build this understanding of value. So there's, there's more there that, that we can develop. Let's talk about this value thing. How do we define value? That's the question. <laughs> A colleague of mine said, I'm, I'm going to ask the, the, the unaskable question, how do, you find, how do you define value? And that's going to close down the conversation. Like, well, no, that's actually opening the conversation. Because that may be the question that we haven't asked loudly enough. So how do you define value? The Agile Fluency model itself says that as teams learn to be agile, they first learn to focus on value, they learn to deliver value, they learn to optimize value, and it doesn't go too much into saying what value is. And I'm afraid my answer sounds wishy-washy because it's, it depends. So my colleague who who tried to like really be challenging about value says, ah, I got you, you don't have an answer because you said it depends. It does depend. It depends on it depends on the industry, the business, and the customer. Value is what the customer needs and also what the business needs. So they go hand in hand. So one of the workshops that I do, I ask people to imagine imagine the future when the agile the agile fluency fairy appears and takes you mystically into this future where you have everything your company and your team has everything they need to give your customer everything they need which is not the same as has everything they want to give the customer everything that's the the business has everything they need to give the customer everything they need so it's a two-way street i've heard that diana says um is it really customer value we're after, or is it the value to the business owners? Well, yes, I think many times the business owners need to give value to the customer so that they can get the value to themselves. And I say, you don't really have to ask which is which, they're, they're interrelated, and it's okay to ask both. What's, and that's where I go to people like Ellen Goldesteiner who talk about understanding product value and the product partners. So you have basically three classes of partners who are trying to define what value is for the product. And that's the business side of the equation, the customer side of the equation, and the developer side of the equation, because we forget that our developers are part of that partnership as well, and also are seeking value out of the, out of the software work. So it's a, it's a challenge to figure out what all three of those partners need, how they define value. I'm having a hard time coming up with a specific answer to your question because I think the challenge is to figure out how to find out what's important to all three of those in your specific situation and then acting on that. So there you start talking about is design thinking, but not just design thinking about getting out and out of the house to the customer and finding out what they value. It's design thinking by getting into the house and finding out what's important to your management, your C-level, and getting into your house and finding out what's important to your developers what's valuable to your developers. So value is a multifaceted, obscure concept. So how do we make decisions? How do we make decisions? 
one of the the things is we need to prioritize work we've mm-hmm. got a we've got a backlog if we look at the organization level we need to prioritize the initiatives that we work on because we know we can't do everything at once how do we make those decisions that's our question and i think that's where to me the fluency work comes into play so much I think this is where the the fluency model really teaches us something because the agile fluency model is about how the software development team learns to produce value. That's what the model is about is producing value. What's running alongside the agile fluency model is how product ownership comes to understand what value is. So you asked, how do we make decisions? I think that's changing. So the people who are new to product ownership and not very masterful at it are probably making, are probably, they tell me they're making decisions based on who's, who shouts the loudest, which is, it's going to be a way to make decisions. And it is at the beginning of that journey is, is the challenges to learn to make decisions, not based on who's shouting the loudest, but on facilitating conversations between people and that's where I think we're still working is to figure out what what that means. Different people have different answers. So like the safe folks talk about weighted shortest job first and that that goes back to lean thinking. I think this is a great way to make decisions. If you understand what that means and you really understand all the very, it's a complex, you, you said it was complex. It sounds so simple when you're in training that the, the, the very simple variables that go into weighted shortest job first seem very simple. I think when you begin to understand the greater problem and all of the complexity of the variables, it's maybe not so simple as that. So I think part of the, part of the fluency for uh, the product ownership folks is to understand when that weighted shortest job first is important to understand more about the discussions that go into figuring out all the variables that are there. Who do you talk to? The customers, but also your partners on the business side and the development side. So this is putting a huge onus on that product owner role. It's huge. It's huge. Are they successful or are they being set up to fail? Yeah, I think the product owner is being set up to fail. If you think about the very simple view of creating an agile transformation where you send a product owner to a training for a couple days, you give them a few tools to prioritize a backlog and you say, prioritize it, go. They are being set up to fail. They need to please so many stakeholders. There's probably so much of that iceberg, so to speak, that's under the water that their ship's just going to to run aground. I may be even mixing my metaphors here, but I feel sorry for the lone, I've been talking about the lonely product owner and I feel really sorry for the lonely product owner because you have, you take this one person and you put the weight of determining product value onto their shoulders. You don't give them anybody to talk to and you say, prioritize the backlog. And the question I ask is, who are the lonely product owners friends who could they make friends with and here we're starting to talk about like george dimwitty's talked for years about the the three amigos because i'm not sure anybody remembers that movie that's younger than me anymore i just have started talking about the product owners friends how do they identify those how do they learn to speak the language of the business and the developers the testers the customer 
how do they stop being this lonely product owner with the world on their shoulders and become a facilitator who is helping facilitate conversations between different people so that everybody begins to get a definition of what value means. I, th I think we come down, we start to come down to that. You mentioned you, you've been doing work in both Europe and South Africa, quite contrasting societies. What are you finding in terms of the take-up of these ideas in the different societies? Man, I love South Africa because of the take-up of the ideas there. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting that I live and work in Switzerland. I'm going to get in trouble again to say this, but Swiss people are known for security and safety, and that's really great. That means that Swiss people aren't known for taking risks, which means that when something like Agile comes along, I'm going to get into so much trouble general generalizing about the culture where I live. Where I live in Switzerland, people are embracing Agile because it's been around for 15 or more years, and it's starting to prove itself, and so now we can look at it. And then I go down to South Africa, where they've had a vibrant Agile community for years and years and years, and I love them because they don't tell them how great a community they have. They don't know that they're at the forefront of Agile thought. They've got some of the best Agile coaches there's folks like Peter Hundemark, which real, who really started off building the Scrum community and the Agile community in South Africa. Uh, Joanne Perold has been working with him for years. Sam Lang, Karen Greaves, who we've seen this week at the Agile Conference. Um, so many other folks and companies. Uh, Pavel Dabritsky, who have had a great fortune to work together with on some product owner stuff. And Danny Root has been doing some incredible work with Kevin Peterson. Everybody's pushing the envelopes of what Agile can be in this culture, who's already pushing some envelopes about how people can live and work together. And it's just incredible. So I love to I love that I get to go down there and also bring new information to down there about the Agile fluency model and new ways to think about product ownership and things like that. South Africa on, on the one hand uh, what's happening in Switzerland? In Switzerland, there's becoming real pockets of agility in big corporations who are starting to embrace agility as a whole. Holacracy and sociocracy are beginning to get a really strong foothold in certain companies within Switzerland. When I'm thinking about the work that I've been doing with Agile Fluency, the work that I've been doing with product owners, other work that I've been doing about using Lego Serious Play and aspects like this to help companies create a more agile work environment. And you think about the, Swiss, the traditional Swiss values of neutrality, quality, community, self-organization. I think there's a message there that as a global agile community, we can do more to work together to ask these questions and take the work that's been done with the Agile Fluency Project and the work that's been done at this conference, the Business Agility Lab, and start as a community, bringing these thoughts together and creating ex new experiments and finding new ways to create better product ownership, create a better understanding of Agile Fluency for the developers and create an understanding within companies of how agility can be introduced and how companies can learn to be agile in that aspect. Steve, 
thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been really interesting and look forward to see where things go with the fluency model in the future. Yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to talk about that. I, I guess what I would want to do is to invite people that want to, to extend these ideas and work with them to get in touch so that we can form that community and continue working together. So how do people find you? My email address is coach at steveholier.com. My Twitter handle is zerkerart. That's Z-U-R-C-H-E-R-A-R-T. And it means Zerk style. And it goes back to my pre-Agile days when that was an alias for being stylish in Zurich, I guess. And, and I, you know, it just so happened, coincidentally, nobody thought to register the businessagility.ch domain. So I have now registered that, and that's the very easy way to get a hold of me is businessagility.ch. So that's the Swiss domain. We'll, we'll include all of these links in the show notes. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.